Human trafficking, can it really be happening today in America? There are so many people who believe this is not a gospel issue or this is not a biblical issue. To me, it's a core issue when it comes to the impact of the gospel. Did you know the victims of human trafficking are all around you, both in the shadows and even in plain sight? So are the perpetrators. There are 27 million slaves worldwide. One out of three kids who run away within 48 hours in the U.S. will be approached for trafficking. But we need not stand helpless. Welcome to Victims in the Shadows, a Sanctity of Life radio special with your host, the president of Life Issues Institute, Brad Mattis. You probably don't know much about human trafficking. That'll change today. The victims and perpetrators are all around you, and the abortion industry plays a key role. Today you'll learn the truth about this horrendous criminal enterprise. Then you'll find out what parents, churches, and each of us can do to help stop it. Finally, you'll hear the words of hope and encouragement from a Christian pastor whose ministry has helped many victims and their families. Stay with us. Nita Bells is the Regional Director for Oregonians Against Trafficking Humans. She oversees the Central Oregon Human Trafficking Task Force. Nita works with law enforcement, government officials, social services, and churches to develop initiatives to combat human trafficking. In 2011, she wrote a book called In Our Backyard that offers a Christian perspective on trafficking in the U.S. It also promotes awareness about the second largest criminal industry in the world. There's 27 million slaves worldwide is the number. And uh, one out of every three kids who runs away within 48 hours in the United States will be approached for sex trafficking. There are between 100 and 300,000 each year who are prime targets for sexual exploitation. Human trafficking is the second largest and fastest growing criminal industry in the world. Gangs, for instance, they used to like to run drugs, but more and more so, gangs are wanting to run girls because with a drug, they can, they have to go back and get some more drugs so they can sell. But a girl, they can sell her over and over and over again. Do you think most people equate prostitution with sex trafficking and kind of say it's not so bad, it's just prostitution? A majority, a huge majority of prostitution is sex trafficking. And there are some who are, who are prostituting on their own. Usually those are uh, people who have been sex trafficked at an earlier age. The average age of entry is 12 to 14 years for girls, 11, 13 for boys. Human trafficking is about money. So the trafficker is looking for young, beautiful victims. A pimp, if he has three girls, will make about $650,000 a year. For the past three years, Melinda Hegarty has been the director of Children's Initiatives for the Ohio Attorney General's Office. Melinda informs the public about these crimes and brings traffickers to justice. Many people are oblivious to how common human trafficking is. Melinda is raising awareness of the many methods traffickers use to lure children and young adults. There's no 
common or average way for a trafficking situation to look. So we've seen lots of situations where you have an older boyfriend type that recruits that minor by feigning that they're in a relationship, that he loves her, that he cares for her. But we've also seen at the AG's office through our research, through one of our subcommittees, that we're seeing females who are involved in these organizations also recruiting other females. Human trafficking is by force, fraud, or coercion. They are tricked into coming. Traffickers look for a need, and then they, their next agenda is to convince the victim that they are the person to supply that need. What role has social networking played in human trafficking? So social networking is a wonderful thing. It allows us to keep touch with people far away, but it also allows predators to prey upon our children. And we have seen cases where traffickers will use Facebook and other social media to recruit victims. You know, kids these days, they put so much personal information that can really tell a trafficker what that child's vulnerabilities are, what that child's likes and dislikes are, um, whether they're in an argument with mom or dad, whether they're gonna run away. So we have seen cases where there have been victims who have been recruited on social media sites. Melinda, who's the typical purchaser of these girls? Every profession you can imagine, including drug dealers, um, law enforcement, attorneys, judges, other politicians, social workers, teachers, clerics. So it was pretty frightening the wide range of people. Marlene Carson was responsible for booking abortion appointments whenever one of the girls became pregnant. Throughout the years she came to find that the abortion industry would overlook the abuse done to these girls, allowing the sex trafficking to continue. The pimps or the traffickers would get fake IDs for the girls and we would take them and have abortions. Would you go in there and pretend you were their mom? No, but I would have someone else do it. The lady who actually would go with them, she was paid just to go in when they needed abortions, um, when they needed, had diseases, um, when they needed some severe, some medical attention, she would go. And did Planned Parenthood ever turn you down for an abortion for one of the girls? Oh no, absolutely not. Did they ever ask questions? Yeah, the questions on their form, not, do you want to keep this child? What's the story? What's going on? Because th th honestly, they had to know that these, these were teenagers. These were not adult women. Do you have any guess of the percentage of young girls that would need the services of an abortionist? Every pimp has a stable of like maybe three to five girls, and that can go three, be the same three to five for a year or, or three to five every three months. I would say at least two of them would probably have an abortion with, yeah, within a very short period of time. Did you ever struggle with your role in the abortions of these girls? Absolutely. There was a girl, she was about 14 years old, and she became pregnant. I knew she had to have an abortion. I knew it, and I couldn't do it. So I had the whole house raided. She was rescued. because so I said, I can't do this. I, this young girl cannot go through this. Nita Bells. There are a lot of forced abortions that happen in sex trafficking. The abortion industry is profiting tremendously. Financially? Financially. 
Do you think they're looking the other way when they see maybe an obvious case come in? Well, I think we've had some documented things filmed with Planned Parenthood where the proposed trafficker, he wasn't a trafficker, but he was posing as a trafficker, said to the person at Planned Parenthood, we're in the sex industry. And she tells him how to get around the laws and what Planned Parenthood can do for them and that when they can't help them, here's another place that will get abortions for younger girls. Yes, absolutely, there's a cooperation there. You're listening to Victims in the Shadows, a Sanctity of Life radio special with your host, Life Issues Institute President Brad Mattis. Nita Bells works with law enforcement to more effectively combat trafficking. She's been involved with sex trafficking sting operations at five Super Bowl events. Nita also works with law enforcement to better prevent girls from being snatched and rescues those being victimized. Sex trafficking sting operations at Super Bowl happen every year. What has to happen is that the law enforcement needs to know where the victims are and then they go after them and they go after the perpetrators. The law enforcement uh, is able to use large events like that, not just Super Bowl, but large events to um, do anti-human trafficking efforts. And each year, the awareness around Super Bowl is being raised tremendously. Have you yourself experienced an opportunity to intervene on behalf of young girls? We were in New Orleans, and um, it was late at night, and our car stalled, and um, we were sitting there waiting for help, and there were two girls standing on the, the corner. We had just driven down a street that was full of traffickers, and it was right at the end of the street where these girls were standing. So it wasn't long before the traffickers spotted these two girls who were not being trafficked, but were prime victims for them. And so I watched two pimps circle, literally circle, these two girls. And a guy came out of nowhere and I've often wondered if he was an angel, came out of nowhere, put his arm around one of the girls, and when the pimps came back up, he put his hand up and said, high five, dude, what's happening? And in other words, what he was communicating to them is these girls are mine, you can't have them. And so we offered these girls a ride home. These girls were two freshmen, 19-year-old girls from Christian homes going to a Christian university and but for the grace of God, they would have been trafficked that night. Most people are unaware of the prevalence of human trafficking, but as the second largest and fastest growing criminal industry, human trafficking can happen anywhere and to anyone. It's happening in this country, so parents need to learn how to be proactive in educating their children about these dangers. Nita Bells. Most girls think it can't happen to them. I think parents have to know that it can happen to their child. I am going to have schooled her ahead of time to know what human trafficker looks like, how they act, how they recruit. Marlene, why is it so hard for girls to get out of this industry? You're afraid of how are they going to look at you? How's everybody going to treat you now? So for these girls, it's important that we know how to embrace 
a traffic victim after the fact. The biggest threat to sex trafficking is awareness and public discussion. Nita Bells believes churches can play an important role in educating the public and they can be a refuge for victimized girls who are struggling with healing. It's important for the church to understand this and to begin to do services for uh, people that are being trafficked to build relationship. We go out where sex is being sold on the street and bring them food. Begin to form relationships. Look at them as people just like us. Look at them as though they were our daughters, our sons. And then when they want to get out, they think, I wonder if those people will be down here again. Churches could have a tremendous impact. They can um, start organizations within their church. Contact law enforcement and say, what do you need? If you've got groups that are local, network with your local anti-trafficking groups. Dedicate a Sunday to anti-trafficking. There's just a myriad of things they can do, but most of all, awareness. Melinda, what can each of us do to help stop human trafficking? First, be aware of what the signs of trafficking are. Be aware of situations that look weird to you or strange to you, and definitely report those. I would also recommend that people become involved with their anti-trafficking coalitions. And they work to make sure victims in that community have appropriate victim services, and they work to build awareness in the communities. Nita Bells. Talk about it. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. All the trafficker asks is that we be quiet, and all we need to do is keep talking. Anybody can be a part of making a difference in awareness and prevention of trafficking. The more people that are aware, and the less likely it is to happen in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. Know that it happens, that it's real, and it's here in the United States. This is not something that happens just overseas or in the movies or is a far off issue, but it's very real and it's on our soil. So Melinda, if somebody suspects human trafficking, how should they approach the young girl? If you're a law enforcement officer, if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, something like that, you should try and question that person by themselves. But at the same token, you should also not expect them to disclose their trafficking to you. We never, ever think that people should be acting as vigilantes and trying to rescue people that's better left to the law enforcement professionals and victim services professionals. But we really encourage you to report to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. And the number is pretty easy to remember. It's 888-3737-888. Melinda, if you had the opportunity to talk to a young girl in the trafficking business but wanted out, what advice would you give her? Keep reaching out to victim services and just know that you can become a survivor. We have so many survivors that are engaged in the anti-trafficking movement who are doing great and your life can be healed. Marlene, are there any places of refuge for these girls? There are certain safe places set up every fire station. White Castle restaurants. So all you have to do is go in and ask for a manager and they'll know what to do. Nita, what words of encouragement can you offer victims of human trafficking still struggling with it? You are loved, you are absolutely valuable. Everything about you was made by God. I know you think you're worthless. You've been called all kinds of names, 
but you're not that. You're a precious child of God. This is Victims in the Shadows, a Sanctity of Life radio special. Bill Welsh is senior pastor at Refuge Calvary Chapel in Huntington Beach, California. He has for quite some time been ministering to victims of the human trafficking industry and advocating on the women's behalf. Brad Mattis had the opportunity to speak with Pastor Welsh about this issue. In my experience, Bill, many people feel that the victims of human trafficking are really far removed from these people's daily lives. They think of prostitution on the other side of the tracks right. in neighborhoods far removed from their mm -hmm. daily lives. But mm -hmm. that's really not true, is it? No, absolutely not. You remember that story? Was it in Cleveland, the, the man who had kidnapped three girls, holding them in his own basement? And that's an, obviously, well, all of it is extreme, but that's just horrendous. But whatever the case is, they're, they're in every corner of our society. And yes, I think, I think we probably rub shoulders with someone who has found themselves in a, in a situation they'd love to be out of, but they don't know how to get out of it. How do you think social media impacts this issue of human trafficking? And how does it put young people at risk in this day and age? Oh, wow. I, you know, b before I, I came in, I, I contacted uh, a woman in our fellowship who uh, works with a ministry. Um, it's called CPR. And, um, and, and, and what they do is they're trying to raise the awareness. They really believe that awareness is the key and education is what raises that awareness. And I asked her the question, you know, how should parents prepare their kids and, and how should they caution them and what kind of parameters? And she said that one of the biggest um, links in this whole uh, literally chain is social media. And it starts with kids that have uh, smartphones at very, very young ages now. Predators love the internet and they love all forms of social media and they know how to use it better than any of us do and, and obviously better than our kids do as well. But they know how to pose in a, in a chat room as just a lonely kid that's looking for other kids and will you follow me and can I be your friend? And that's the first step into a relationship that could end up being literally devastating for the rest of their lives. But so much of it starts on social media. You know, I've talked with several parents regarding the topic of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And the ones that I spoke to were deeply concerned. Has that been your experience also? Oh, yeah. And, and more than ever. The questions, when should you talk to your children? Should you talk to your children? How much should you say to them? And... You know, my kids are as, as concerned today with their children, my grandkids that are anywhere from 15 years old down to two and a half. And, and they're all very concerned about the world that we live in and evil, you know, evil influence that's out there that, that could just be devastating in the impact on their own kids. As Christian parents, how do we start the conversation with our children? Yeah, the place that you start, because you don't want to traumatize <laughs> A, a child with nightmares as they go to sleep, but at the appropriate time, you you let them know that, honey, not everybody out there is a friend. It's not every not every person you meet is someone that you want to be your friend, and that that might begin the conversation that may or may not turn to some more questions. But they said that's really the beginning to let people know there are dangerous places in the world and there's dangerous people in the world. And so, you know, there, there's just new cautions out there, Brad, but it all comes back to the same core issue of be careful who you choose to spend your time with and, and to be a friend to. Because the people you hang out with, that's the people you're going to become like. Bill, I'd like you to speak to the listeners who may be listening to this program 
but feel that the issue of human trafficking just really is not relevant to the church, mm-hmm. is not relevant to them sitting in the mm-hmm. pew, that they and their children are far removed and protected from such dangers. Isn't that amazing? But you're, you're right. There are so many people that believe, you know, this, this is not a gospel issue or this is not a, a biblical issue. And, oh, you know, what I, what I love to do is just take them to the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he comes back from those 40 days of being pummeled in temptation by the devil. And, you know, the scripture says that when he stepped into the synagogue and they handed him the book of Isaiah, he found this place where it was written that it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to poor people. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and that blind eyes might see and that the oppressed may be set free and to declare the acceptable day of the Lord. Every one of those bullet points, Brad, has to do with someone who's in one stage or another of brokenness or captivity. And Jesus certainly had a heart for the captive, for the prisoner, for the oppressed. In fact, the word oppressed there means crushed and just held down. So in my mind, it's it's central to the the gospel when it comes to the good works that God's called us to. We're saved by grace through faith, of course. We're not saved by doing good works, but then it says God's provided, he's provided, he'll provide great things every day for us to do for him that demonstrate his mercy, his grace, and his heart for the broken and the oppressed. So it, it to me, it's a core um uh, a core issue when it comes to the impact of the gospel in the life of a person who's surrendered their life to Christ. Bill, what can the church do to help the situation? We can get educated. Um, as my friend that's involved in this with CPR, and we have a another ministry that is uh, rising up in refuge that, interestingly enough, is connected with a, a ministry that comes out of the Midwest where you are, um, and it's called uh, Houses of Refuge. And so we're um, preparing to launch a house of refuge for women that want to get out of prostitution, which is a form of of, uh, of sex trafficking, and they want Absolutely. to get free. Sad, so sad. He told me, uh, the, the brother that's over all this, he said that there are only 20% of the women that they reach out to help that end up... Um, off of the streets for good because it's it's like a community they're conditioned into. But at least 20% are coming out, which is, is, is wonderful. But what we can do is get get connected in our area. Look for a human trafficking task force. Look for someone in your area. If, if the, the pastor of your church doesn't um, know of anything, then knock on other doors. I'm not saying change churches, but knock on other doors and find someone in your city because there is someone who is aware of what's going on and is is trying to raise the awareness and get people plugged in and recruited to help to make a difference. Do you have any specific, maybe practical things to help them identify potential victims? Maybe uh, things that we should look for or things that should raise our eyebrows to maybe pay a little more attention to? If you see something that looks suspicious, as, as you know, the billboards say, if you see something, then say something. Call mm-hmm. the authorities and just ask them to please come into our, our neighborhood and, and check this out. If you're concerned about you know, just a, a flow of people in and out of a house that don't look like they're, you know, they're a part of that family, different cars coming, every, and just, just call and, and ask the police to say something. They will know how to approach. Is there anything you'd like to talk about that we haven't already spoken of? My daughter 
sent this to me. She said, as far as starting the conversation with your children, and I love the way she phrased this, she said, I think it really begins with teaching a child their value, how precious they are to God and how precious they are to you, because then she said they won't rely on some guy telling them that they're beautiful. And that's so often what happens in these, these websites. Hey, send me a picture of yourself. Oh my goodness, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And if mom and dad have laid that truth into their life, that they're precious and they're valuable, it can begin to build up that image of themselves that they don't need somebody else that comes alongside and strokes them with those, those beautiful words. And, and uh, I, I always tell couples as they're moving towards marriage, if you don't build up with beautiful words those, those precious people God's put in your life, one of two things will happen. Either somebody else will and they'll win them away from you, or nobody else will. And both of those are just devastating things. So, you know, just build in the, the truth of, of that value of that their soul and how deeply they're loved by God and deeply they're loved by you. Otherwise, it can be the slippery slope whereby they get dragged away into this sort of thing. Good advice spoken from the true heart of a dad and granddad. As our guests have informed us today, we as parents, churches, and individuals can indeed play a role in stopping human trafficking and giving comfort to its victims. And we can initiate important conversations with our kids. Well, let's give you the National Human Trafficking Hotline number again. It's 888-3737-888. That's 888-3737-888. And to assist you further, we have some helpful resources. First, the informative fact sheet protects your child from human trafficking, featuring five things every parent needs to know. Then we have the double DVD set of the Facing Life Head-On TV programs on which part of this radio special has been based. Just visit lifeissues.org for all the details. And friend, thanks again for listening to this Life Issues radio special, Victims in the Shadows. 